Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Good morning to everyone who's meeting us online. This is Living Word Bible Church, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. This morning, we are taking the reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 19 to 27. And if you're not sure where 1 Corinthians is, it's in the New Testament. It's the seventh book, um, and it's before 2 Corinthians. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under God's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Okay. So we're going to look at that passage together in one, well, it's in 1 Corinthians 9, we're actually in Philippians, but we'll refer to that passage as we build on the central argument that we have here this morning. You can just leave it there, thank you. I want to just show you this quote, you may be familiar with it, the important thing in the Olympic Games is not winning, but taking part. And it's, it, it's the spirit of the games. It's, a, it's, it's meant to be the taking part, but obviously it's become all competitive, hasn't it? And it's understandable. In fact, it's still a very British thing to approach sport as just taking part, and, not, and it doesn't have to be about winning. I mean, is that an attitude that Aussies take? <laughs> not in the cricket. <laughs> not in the cricket. Uh, I, I mean, would, would, would Aussies be more competitive? I mean, not the it's aren't competitive, but it's still a, a mindset that is taking a part of counts. <coughs> I tell that because no one's answering me. I mean, what is the Aussie position? 
Win at all costs. Win at all costs, okay? And, and I want to suggest that that's a good thing. And I'll show you one there. Look, when, when it comes to the Apostle Paul, for him, it's not the taking part that's important. It's winning. And you would have picked up that from those verses in 1 Corinthians 9. It's about winning. It's about achieving. It's about completing the cost. Listen to this in verse 12. Not that I have already attained all this, this is Philippians, or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see what Paul is saying there? It's not just competing, it's completing, and completing well. For him, Christianity was something that required our utmost to achieve the greatest and and as much as that may sound like human effort in the place of grace i want to show you how that works out in the christian's life because much of this morning i am going to emphasize the importance of human effort achievement completion but you'll see at the end as we wrap up the message that it all comes around and and the, and the god perspective is there so so far for paul he has achieved or he's won Gaining Christ, we've looked at these in, in the last few weeks. Obtaining a righteousness that God accepts. Uh, knowing Christ experientially, we looked at that last time. And we said that these are all the things that Paul wants to achieve, uh, attain, uh, grasp, uh, accomplish. It's, it's, what we, it's, it's why we run. There's a reason for running the Christian life. It's not just a lifestyle. It's not just something we've chosen to adopt. There's a purpose. There's a reason. There's a goal. There's something to attain. And as we're going to look at that under the second heading today. Is it's the, the competitor's brief. So we're competitors in a race. It's what we've got. We'll have a picture in a second. We'll move on Greg to the competitor's brief. We're competitors in a race. And I'm going to move right on Greg. Um, to our first point there, thank you. We're competitors in a race, and there's a brief for that no race. No there's a, a brief, verse 12. But I press on, says Paul. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Paul obviously used the language of the games, the Greek games, but notice the emphasis. He presses on, he forgets what's behind, he strains forward, he presses towards the goal. The Apostle Paul, I want to suggest friends, was, was a competitor who wasn't just in it to compete, to, to be one of the competitors rather, but he was in it to win it. Okay, here's a marker point for the slides, the tortoise and the, and the, and the hare. We all know it, and we have kids of this story. Uh, it's, a, it's a famous one here, yeah? I mean, I think it's famous all around the world. Uh, you know what happens, the, the, the hare runs ahead. I mean, he's got this thing in the back before he started, hasn't he? And because he's so far ahead, he, he rests for a while, takes a short nap, and loses a race. But the tortoise, as slow as he may have been, wins the race. Hey, look, look, listen to Paul. But I press on. I press on towards the goal. 
So Paul is not so much that he's so far ahead that he's going to take a snooze. No, for Paul, there's a different reason why he may not press on. What would you say? If you think about why is Paul talking about having, and notice he's exerting some, he's trying to muster up enthusiasm, muster up energy. Why would you think, and we're in Philippians, why would he need to, to coach himself on like this? But I press on. I press on towards the goal. I forget about what's behind. I strain forward. What's, what reason? I mean, why is he talking of the game here? Pardon? Suffering. He's facing suffering. Thank you. That is, that is, that is some of that. I mean, it's major cost from his previous life. There's a bit more. There's a bit more. Anybody else? Opposition. There's that too. The whole context of what we looked at the last three weeks. He wants to show others to continue. He, want, he does. He wants to do that as well. He <laughs> wants to demonstrate. There's a quintessential answer. The quintessential answer is, is because he's wasted all his life. He's wasted almost his entire life. That's the issue for Paul. Look, listen to this. Look, as we go on, he says these words, forgetting what is behind. That's the clue. He says, look, I'm going to press on. I'm going to forget what is behind. What is behind? What does he want to forget? He wants to forget the wasted years, the wasted life, the, the, the false stars, the red herrings. Listen to him. Look, look. He goes, look, I was running the race and I was in front the whole way. Look, I, I was circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, I was faultless, a Pharisee, perfect. Okay? As for zeal, I persecuted the church. There wasn't anybody more passionate about Judaism than me. As for legalistic righteousness, that means as for keeping the law with absolute precision, says Paul, I was perfect. Paul is saying, you can't find a better Jew in this world than me. I kept the stipulation of Judaism, every jot and tittle of the law, perfectly. And yet, what does he say about all that later? P-O-O-O. He regarded as poo. Absolute poo. And so here you have a man who's invested his entire life on a certain course of direction, on a certain race, and he was, he was in that race way ahead of any other competitor. Okay? And then wham! Slam! Who does he, who does he bash into? Right. Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Paul, you're running the wrong race. Oh, you may be winning in the race you're running, but it's the wrong race. I want you to imagine this scenario. You turn up to the Olympics, you've trained your whole life for the 200 meters, okay? Okay? No, for the 100 meters, okay? You know, you train for the 400 meters. This is an off the cuff illustration. You train for the 400 meters, you turn up to the Olympics, you get on the blocks, and the, and the gun goes, and to run the 400 meters, you have to. Pace yourself. If you run out of steam after the first hundred, 
you're gonna, and so you start and you're pacing yourself, okay? When everybody else is running, that this works that well, everybody else is running at 100 meters. What would you get? If you ran the 400 meters in a 100 meter race, what would you get? Last. Last! You wouldn't get anything. And for Paul, in encountering Jesus, he realizes he's been on the wrong running blocks his entire life. What do you do? You turn up, you've, you've been running in the wrong race, okay? Hey, this will work better if he should have been doing the 10,000 meters, he's only doing the 400 meters. What do you do? You turn up and you realize you're running the wrong race. What will you do in a real situation? You, you, you just started on the wrong blocks. You've lost, or you think you've lost. What would you do? You'd pack up your bags and you'd go home. Even if this was the 10,000 meters that you meant to be running, but you're so far behind now, you wouldn't bother. For Paul, this is what he said. Hey, he goes, no, no. I press on. I press on towards the goal. I forget what's behind. What Paul is suggesting is, hey, I have every reason to give up the pursuit of God. I have every reason to give in a pack up and just turn my back on religion because I've just realized I've run the wrong race for all of my life. Otherwise, we don't know how Paul was, take his 40. But instead, this is what he says, I, I press on. I persecuted the church. I gained everything Judaistically, but I forget what is behind me and I press on. The reason he does this, you remember this parable of Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went out and sold what he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Can you see what Jesus is saying about that? About that from that parable, parable is that no matter how much it's taken you in investment, when you finally find what's of real value, when you find the greatest treasure, when you found the reason for life, what would you do? You would give up everything else you'd obtained or gained to grasp what you've just discovered. And I think that's what Paul is doing with his life. He's suggesting, look, I may have been on a pursuit and got it all wrong, but now that I've found what's of value, I forget the wasted years. In fact, he says here, I strain towards what is ahead. I now keep focus on what matters and I give up the lost years. I count them as wasted. I count them as gone. Because here's a reality, and I, I, I got this from a sermon by Stephen Lawson. The, the thing about time, I don't know if you've worked this out about time, the thing about time is it's linear and it's always moving forward. You can't regain a, a day. In fact, there's no biblical episode, there's only one episode in all of the Bible where time ever, ever is distorted. You know the episode, don't you? In the Old Testament, just with Joshua when he prays for the sun to stand still, it's the only episode in all of biblical history when God uh, manipulates time. In every other instance, it never goes backwards. Paul understands that. Time is always moving forward. Regardless of what's happened in the past, 
the only thing of consequence for him now is the future. What is ahead? I guess it's a bit like what Jesus said in Luke 9. You, you, you may know these words. No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's something about the Christian life, about moving forward, having disregard for the past, disregard for wasted opportunity. Let me just put this to us. Look, I don't suppose there's many of us here who spent our lives in Judaism and are now coming to Christianity and so, so have to turn our backs on that. But I guess for many of us, hey, let me, let me put this scenario, for many of us who've invested our lives in doing good, in giving away great chunks of our wealth, of our time, in charity or faithful giving, all of a sudden you encounter Jesus and you realise actually all that good that you did that you thought was earning you, earning you merits towards Jesus, you discover all of a sudden actually, what, what does Jesus say to you when you come to him in a sermon about salvation? He says to you, hey, that was really nice what you did for the poor people, but it's done nothing to earn you a relationship with me. Hey, it's really great how you've given most of your income to investing in the lives of, the, of other people. But in regards to your faith in me, it's done nothing towards salvation. And I think it, it is a thing, in coming to Jesus, there has to be a reset. In coming to faith, there has to be an acknowledgement that up to that point, nothing we've done in and of ourselves has actually accelerated our journey in God. All the pursuits, all the hard work, all the trying, all the good behaviour, all the all the new year resolutions have ultimately, when we face Jesus, we realise have ultimately achieved nothing for us. That's kind of what Paul is experiencing here, except it's much greater. I think it, it will be on something of this scale. Imagine you're Bill Gates with your multi-billion dollar fortune. Imagine if you were concerned for your soul and a Bill Gates gave up or spent almost all of his multi-billion dollar fortune he invested in charitable works. And in fact, he does invest quite a lot of money in charitable works. Okay, but imagine you invested almost all of it for belief that this would gain you peace with God and at the end of your life, a Christian speaks to you and says to you, Bill, and if Bill Gates is listening, Bill, Bill, it's done nothing for you, mate. Your eternity is hazardous, as much hazardous today as it was before you started giving. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, believe in Him, and forget and take away any confidence in anything you've ever done to earn favour with God. I mean, how would someone handle that? How would you handle that in that scenario? I guess that doesn't come even close to what Paul is having to do here and acknowledge that his entire life has gained him little progress towards God. Let me put it a different way. But beyond salvation, look, we faced that scenario for most of us in this room many years ago. I faced it 30 odd years ago. Most of us here, Graham, how many years would you have been converted? 
30 years, you faced it 30 years ago, here's something we may face today. How many of us, how many of us can say or forget the wasted years of our Christian lives and say, hey, I've got to move on from that. How many of us here have held on to prophecies that we were given in earlier our Christian journey that we were convinced were from God, that we've held on to them, we've built our lives upon them, and we may be now facing a reality that maybe that never was God. How many of us can still keep walking with God in that light? How many of us here, I wonder, have walked a Christian life to them, looking back now, we have to acknowledge, hey, we've wasted much of the 30 years of our Christian life. On pursuing things that were less than godly, in pursuing things that we perhaps thought were godly, we thought were God's plan for us, we, we now realise actually, it was really about myself, trying to build my own kingdom, it was really about my own interests, or is really about what I could gain? I wonder how many Christians here, I wonder how many of us here can look back on our lives and will be ready to admit, hey, I've wasted a lot of my life. I've done a lot of wrong things. I've pursued a lot of false trails. I've achieved a lot of useless things. I've done a lot of great things in my life which have absolutely no value eternally. I've built up a great bank balance. I've built up a great property portfolio. I've done great in the world and succeeded in many things. I wonder how many of us could stand here today and say, I actually acknowledge that they've been foolish, even sinful things, that have really wasted the majority of our lives. I wonder how many people here could acknowledge that and say sorry to Jesus and press on in Jesus. And find a new part of life. Hey, the sum of your life is worth more than your achievements outside of Jesus. And whatever it is that we may have been pursuing, that it may have been our focal point, let me give you some. If I only had a wife, my life would be wonderful. If only I had a, a, a better managerial job, my life would have been wonderful. If only I had a bigger bank balance, my life would have been wonderful. I wonder if we'd be ready to come before Jesus and say, hey, those pursuits, those ambitions, were always about myself. Hey, I'm ready to turn my back on that and find my purpose, identity, fulfillment, and reason for existence in Jesus alone. In Jesus alone. I'm going to ask you, is there war you're living? Or are you, or am I, like Paul, still trying to trying to make some meaning and some purpose and some reason of my life outside of Jesus? Some purpose in my employment, some purpose in my family, some purpose in my marriage, some purpose in 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 my in my, in, in my activities of hobbies or sport or whatever it may be, am I trying to find some purpose and contentment in my life in something other than Jesus? Because if we are, 
I think like Paul, we've got to have an encounter with Jesus that revolutionizes our thinking, that says to me, no one test, your fulfillment in life and your contentment in life is found not in achievements, not in personal happiness, not in fulfillment, not in achievement, but just in knowing Jesus. Did you notice that Paul? What has become his chief? A man who was the most ambitious of all Jews in pursuing Judaism to its ultimate degree. What do you find when he becomes a Christian? We looked at him last time. All of a sudden, he loses all ambition. And he finds all of his purpose and fulfillment and contentment in knowing Jesus. In knowing Jesus. Christian, I want you to take this away. Whatever you've been pursuing, whatever you think is going to make you happy, whatever the last thing is in your life that's going to give you that peace of contentment, forget it. Forget it. Because I tell you, even if you get it, even if you get it, you'll be left empty. And instead, endeavour from this moment to say, hey, my only pursuit of fulfillment, contentment, is Jesus. A relationship with Him, a walk with Him, a journey with Him, and race with Him. And if that means, and here's, Paul, here's what Paul is saying, if that means I will never get the recognition, I mean, look how much recognition he got in Judaism, and how much recognition did he get in Christianity amongst his previous peers? Zero! Okay? If that means I'll never get the recognition I I wanted, if I'll never get the happiness that I assumed I would have, if I never get that thing I assumed that would give me, then I'm going to be content. Hey, there is no life, there is no contentment, there is no purpose, there is no value, there is no happiness of any lasting value outside of Jesus. Let me just move on to that verse to get the illustration. Forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what is ahead. I press on. That's the competitor's brief. Christian, press on. How am I doing for time? When did I start? Nobody knows. None of them. Okay, let me just go on. I'll try and be briefer in this next part. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Now here's the thing about Jesus. Forgetting and giving up our passions, our pursuits, our goals, our hopes, our endeavours, okay, our ambitions, and this is what we're saying here, we're giving all that up to pursue Jesus alone. It's not passive. Christianity is not an escalator. You know how, you know how an escalator works? I love them. You step up and you move forward. Okay? Christianity is not an escalator in that sense. It's something that requires effort. Staircase. Yes, thank you. It's a staircase, friend. And that's what Naomi read for us earlier. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get, get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do, I do not. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself 
will not be disqualified from the prize. And this is what Paul is saying about Christianity. Okay, I've given up the pursuit of Judaism, I've given up all my ambitions, and I'm now pursuing Jesus alone, but it's not passive. This requires a form of activity, in that it requires the utmost energy and determination and pursuit. That's what Paul is saying. When he says he beats his body, he's talking of an athlete, isn't he? How does an athlete can, uh, prepare for the 100 meter sprint? I mean, you would know, Greg. How does an athlete prepare for the 100 meter sprint? Practice it. Exactly. He beats his body, he gets up early every morning. He trains his body every day. He runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. He weight trains. He does every form. He ensures that his body is fit. And Paul is saying, the thing about the Christian journey is just, is just encountered. He realizes, although the pursuit is totally and ultimately Jesus, it's no longer anything of self. Nevertheless, it's a, it's a journey that requires the utmost determination, effort, activity. Christianity is not a passive escalator. It's an active race. And that's all the thing Paul has to do. Not only has he had to give up everything that he ever achieved and now follow Jesus, he can't even rest. It's not as though he's got Jesus, now that's it. Okay, I can give up the past because I've got Jesus and now I can just relax. No, he's got Jesus, but then he realizes this Jesus wants him to run. And he wants him to run well. In fact, he wants him to win the race. I beat my body to make him my slave, so having preached to others, I myself won't lose the prize. So the thing about the Christian journey, Fred, and I know you know this, it does require me pulling myself out of bed every morning. It does require me opening my Bible every day. It does require me reading and meditating on the words of Jesus. It does require me getting to church meetings. It does require me making the effort to pray. It does require me getting involved in church life. It does require me turning up to church and being asked to do something because somebody else can't be here and me doing it with again or or yeah do you know that's a great opportunity thank you when was the last time we did that hey i mean hey it requires my positive willful joyful activity for jesus Okay, next time you open your Bible in the morning and you're trying to get through your morning reading or in the afternoon or in the evening or at lunchtime or whenever, count your joy. Do it. Press on. When you're fighting sin, hey, if you're a real person, you fight sin every day, fight sin! Say no! Pursue Jesus! When you're, when you're distracted, by all that the world still offers you and you're drawn back to your previous life, the one you had when you could pursue the world with passion and, and all in your Christian journey you're facing those, when you see what other people are doing without Jesus, when you face those temptations say no! Hey, I had a friend who used to do this and I used to think it's crazy and I didn't discourage you from doing it 
had a friend, when I was 16, uh, no, when I was 19, I was in between jobs, so I just went and got myself a, a weekend job at McDonald's, and I'm serving there at 11 o'clock on Saturday night in Leeds City Centre, uh, okay? Now you tell me, at 11 o'clock at night in the central city, one of the big cities in, in Britain, what state do you think the females are who come into there? How do you think they're dressed? Where do you think they're going? What's the next port of call? Work it out. The next port of call is at 11 o'clock at night. Where do young ladies and young men go at 11 o'clock at night in the city? Nightclubs. Come on, guys. You've been there, haven't you, Denise? Surely. <laughs> you know, that's where they're going. How do you think they're dressed? Okay. No imagination necessary. Okay. It's bad enough working and serving in that environment. But I had a close friend who was buying a Big Mac at that time of night in the city and I know he had no reason to be there. Why do you think he was there? Yes. Okay? Hey, don't put yourself in the wrong place. Avoid that street. Okay? I think that's something that we can all take when he's a that we try to avoid circumstances we use with, and we all know that scene, unfortunately, when, when we're trapped in it, all wisdom, all sense disappears. So I guess, hey, this sermon is before we get into that situation, log it into your head. So here's a competitor's brief, okay? Christianity is not passive, it's active. And the last thing, and I'm gonna finish with this. The secret advantage, the secret advantage for I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's Paul saying here? He's laboured the effort needed to run Christianity. He's laboured that, hasn't he? And then he finishes off with his verse. What's he saying there? How's he summing up his statement? He's laboured. You've got to try harder at running for Jesus. You've got to make sure you're only running for Jesus. You're not pursuing any personal agendas. Okay? You do it. And then what, how does he finish off? What's he saying here? What's, what's the emphasis of, the, of that verse? Someone, does anyone want to shout it out? What's the emphasis of that verse? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Can you see his point? He's saying, hey, ultimately, I'm only fulfilling in my pursuit what Jesus is already doing in me. Can you see the equilibrium? The two great doctrines. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God, we know what that is, that God's in control, and he puts it alongside the doctrine of the human will. I mean, have you ever tried to put those things together? How do you mesh God is sovereign with human will? With the will that we have, I mean, how do you mesh those things? Well, Paul does it, and this is what he does. He says, look, I have to run. I have to try. I have to pursue Jesus, I have to put heart and soul into it, I have to beat my body in my pursuit of God, but, guess what, and he's almost saying, I'm going to whisper in your ear, but, but, Jesus is pulling you along. Jesus is pulling you in the right way. Jesus is speeding you, providentially. 
Jesus is actually calling you to where you're meant to. Can you see what the, the Apostle Paul is saying? He goes, as much as I'm emphasizing the necessity of us to beat our bodies in pursuit of Jesus, I want you to understand this, that God is the one ultimately drawing you to where he wants you. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance. You're sitting there, aren't you? Yes. Okay. Listen to this. For we are God's workmanship created in doing IT, in case somebody doesn't know, but created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. When in eternity was it written and established that you will be sitting there this morning doing that. A long time. Yes. And you. Before you just sat there by accident, you came thinking you were going to sit in the service and enjoy the service, and then someone called you to do that. I thought about that when you arrived. I was waiting to see who would arrive, who would be the first culprit of a necessary task. He was him. But when did that actually, when was that written? That it would happen. Before the creation of the world. Before we were even born, Before the creation of the world. you were ordained to sit there at this morning and to press those buttons in the right order. And I look, that, that's, that trivializes, I know, but here's a big scale. Okay? God in eternity past has written out your life, planned your life. Has, has channeled in the courses of your life to put you in the right place at the right time every day of your life until eternity. And in that mix, and his complexity of it, your choices, your wisdom, your actions, your motivations, all work to mesh with that and to put you precisely where you're meant to be at every moment of your life. This is how David, King David, penned this a similar thought. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. You have a destiny. Your life is mattered. It's not an accident. It makes complete and utter sense. It has real purpose. And even the mistakes, even the sinfulness, even the wrong pursuits, even the failures, even Paul's wasted years of pursuing Judaism have all worked to bring him and to bring you to where you're meant to be. And here's the confidence you have leaving this place now. Wherever your life heads from this junction onwards, it's heading in God's direction. For your part, you just keep passionately and faithfully and earnestly pursuing Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.